The fourth candle represents worship. As Simeon, Anna, and the Magi responded to the birth of Christ, they worshiped. They worshiped the Savior of the world. Jesus is God's plan for salvation for all who believe. Forty days after Jesus was born, Mary and Joseph took him to the temple in Jerusalem to dedicate him to the Lord. They were so poor that they brought only the smallest offering the law allowed. No one sent out birth announcements for them or played music when they came in, but God himself announced their arrival in a very special way. At that time, a, a man named Simeon lived in Jerusalem. He was a righteous man, and God had promised him that he would not die until he had seen Christ the Lord. On this day, the Spirit told him to go to the temple. When, Jesus, when he saw Jesus, Simeon took the baby in his arms and praised God, saying, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. A prophetess named Anna was also there that day. She was an 84-year-old widow, and she served God that, that day and night in the temple. After Simeon spoke, she came in and praised God for Jesus. Luke 2.38 reads, And coming up that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. They praised the God who keeps his promises. The Magi from the east also came to worship the newborn king. In Matthew 2, 2-12, we read, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. His scribes told him about Bethlehem, so Herod sent the wise men there with instructions to report back where Jesus was. Herod said he wanted to worship, but in reality he was looking to kill Jesus. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When he saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. This long journey had one purpose, worship. And when we would remember to worship Jesus Christ this Christmas and not let anything stand in the way. The first candle represented hope. The first candle represented hope, the hope and expectation that was found in Jesus. The second advent candle represented surrender and obedience. Mary and Joseph, the parents of Jesus, willingly listened to God and followed his plan. The third advent candle represented joy. God brought Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem at just the right time, and the angels and shepherds proclaimed the good news of great joy. This fourth candle represents worship. Just as Simeon, Anna, and the wise men responded to worship, our response at Christmas is to, worship, is to be worship and praise to God for his work, plan, and salvation. What a gift. Good morning, village. Merry Christmas. Thank you. I got a good morning. Good morning. It is good to sing songs of praise to our Lord, songs of hope, songs, songs like Hope Was Born This Night. And the thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. And at Christmas this year, we thought it was a very appropriate year to focus on hope, right? 2020 has had its share of, of unique situations and challenges. And 
what we really need is hope. And what strikes me is there are all kinds of sources of hope. The world has all kinds of ideas of what hope is, and so many of the sources disappoint. I mean, at Christmas time, there is such a, a push this year. People want to decorate and put up lights because we are, are craving hope, right? I, a, a poem that um, just is a, a deep poem of hope. "'Twas the night before Christmas, when all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. The stockings were hung by the chimney with care in hopes that St. Nicholas soon would be there. And it goes on to talk about St. Nicholas coming and the hopes and the anticipation and on the roof, and I don't know what that did to the roof, probably damaged it a little bit, but um, coming down and guessing. But this is part of what our culture is, is striving for, some sense of hope. Now, kids, I love that poem. So I know we have kids with us still. Great poem, fun, and it's okay to have fun at Christmas as long as we remember there's a deeper hope. There's a, a, a hope that lasts. And so those of us craving hope this year, there is good news. There is good news that came on that Christmas night so long ago, the birth of our Savior. And so as we talk about hope, I want to think about different aspects of it. And just We're going to look at three different passages this morning and just some thoughts out of each of them. But why do we hope? Why do we hope for whatever we hope in? And, and what makes it? And one author wrote, and I really like this, we hope in things because we believe that what we are hoping for and hoping in will solve our biggest problems. Let me repeat that. We hope in certain things because we believe that what we are hoping for and hoping in will solve our biggest problem. It will make us happy. There's hope that that new gift that's under the tree or not under the tree yet will make us happy. There's hope that that new raise will solve all of our money issues. There's hope that that new book we read will make our marriage perfect. But will hope last? Will hope in those things that are temporary last? Will hope that that Christmas morning will bring all kinds of joy and happiness, will that last more than the 30 minutes it takes to open the gifts, play with them, and break them? No, there's, there's got to be something deeper for us to hope in. We can enjoy those things, but enjoyment needs to be different from a hope and where we place our trust and where we find foundation in our ability to see things through God's perspective, our ability to live for him. Now, to, to understand hope a little bit, we have to understand some definitions of hope because we use hope in different ways and the way we commonly use it is different from how the Bible uses it. And, and I'm, I'm always hesitant to use the word hope because if we use it like you and I are used to using it, it's not what it means when the Bible says there's hope. And let, let me illustrate. Webster defines hope and to hope as to cherish a desire with anticipation, to want something to happen or to be true. Now, now catch that definition because it is a very weak definition to cherish a desire with anticipation. How, how confident are you in your desires? How confident are you that all of your desires are going to happen this next year? No, that, that gives no hope because there's no confidence in it. That's just a want. That's a, that's a, a desire. And so, yes, we can anticipate a desire. I, I, I hope I get a new car for Christmas. That desire, I can anticipate it all I want. It ain't happening. 
And, and so there's no certainty there. There's no like, yeah, that hope does nothing because its foundation is flawed. I hope the Angels or the Dodgers win the World Series this year. Could happen. It's happened before. But that's just a hope. It might not either. It's, it's this desire that, that has no certainty. Or the second half of that definition, I want something to happen or to be true. I, I you know, those of you kids might say, I want a huge bike under the tree for Christmas. Well, just think about that for a minute. Under the tree? But never mind. Um, I don't know if that's going to happen. It's, it's just a, a, a want for something to be true. Wishing and hoping. It's a wish rather than confidence. Some of you are, are wishing for a PlayStation 5. Some of you are hoping and wishing that 2021 is better than 2020. I don't know. But that's not how hope is used in the Bible. That's not how hope is used in the songs that we sang and will sing this morning. Hope in the Bible is always this idea of confident expectation based on who God is. It's a confident expectation and trust in God. It is not wishing, it is trusting. And so when we say we hope that Jesus is coming back again, we are confident and sure that he is, and so that is a confident expectation looking forward to something we know will happen. And that's how the Bible uses hope. And that's where we want to go this morning as we talk about hope, and hope was born that night when we talk about hope at Christmas. One other thing is sometimes, and in Daniel, we, we, we talked about this a lot, sometimes we can think of hope only as a future thing. Well, I hope that someday God will come back and make things right. And, and that's confident. We know that's going to happen. Hope is on the way. Just hold on a little longer. The virus might be cured. The, the, the vaccine might work. But when we think of Christianity, when we think of the birth of Christ, when we think of Christmas, hope has already arrived. Hope is already here. Hope is with every believer that chooses to put their trust in Christ. Hope is not just a future thing. The problem we have in this world is we look for hope in all the wrong places, in all the temporary places. I know the song says looking for love in all the wrong places. Oh, we hope in all the wrong places too. The only true source, the only source of true lasting hope is Jesus Christ. And I'll say that at the beginning, and the whole morning we'll be sort of expanding on that and proving that. But the only source of true, lasting hope is in Jesus Christ. Romans 15 is a verse that I want to use at the beginning and end of the, our, our time together today. And I put all the verses in your notes this morning because I'm jumping around to different passages. Romans 15, 12 says, and, and here um, Paul is quoting Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah eleven ten, And again Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come. And, and we might think the root of Jesse, is Jesse a tree? Is they name their trees? I don't know what's going on here. The root of Jesse means the descendant of Jesse. A, that's a man, a guy's name. And his descendant was King David. And we know in Scripture and in the prophecies, in the line of David, in the descendants of David, will come a ruler. And so this is talking about the Messiah coming. This is talking about Christmas. It's a Christmas passage. The root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. And we see this word hope 
as, as Paul is reflecting on the birth of Jesus, as he's reflecting on the work of Jesus, he says, this was predicted. This was predicted six, seven hundred years ago. The root of Jesse, the descendant, will come. He will rule the Gentiles in righteousness. He'll displace all of the evil that's here. And in him will the Gentiles hope. And by using Gentiles here, including Gentiles, Jews already knew they hoped in the Messiah. But Paul is saying all people have hope because of the birth of Jesus Christ. All people have hope. And, and he goes on, and we'll read this next verse at the end again. But may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. And so we start with the truth that the only source of true, lasting hope is Jesus Christ. There is no other. But then what does that mean? What does it mean that hope is found in a baby? That, that's sort of weird. Uh, how, how is hope found in just a person? And, and to understand that, we have to understand some of our deepest needs. We have to understand what Jesus came to do. See, he came to deal with our two deepest needs. And, and, and really, if you think of everything that goes wrong in this world, I would argue it comes down to two things, either my own sin or a fallen world, sin in this world. So either the sins I've committed or the sins in the world around me, and it's, and it's much easier to blame the world around me, but most of my trouble is my own sin, if, I, if I'm honest, and, and the, the, my own junk in my life. And Jesus came to give hope that both of those are cured, that both of those are taken care of. And so we start with Matthew 1, familiar story of Joseph and it's always interesting to sort of pick who to, to talk about in what year. And one of my kids always says, well, Joseph's like the forgotten guy in the nativity story. He's the extra. And I'm like, no, 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 he, he's, he's really cool. No, he doesn't get much press. He's sort of a side character. And, and, and I argue with, with them. I'm like, well, I, I don't think so. It is no small thing to adopt and raise the son of God. And that, that is a huge task in and of itself. I mean, what if you mess up? But he's God, so that's not going to happen. Um, but what Joseph agreed to do was truly amazing, if we think about it. And this morning, as we go to the Christmas story, it's familiar to us, but I hope that we think of it through the lens of hope. In Matthew 1, 18, 25, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. This is where we start to see what he's agreeing to do. I think of those circumstances. Joseph has these hopes and dreams himself of, of life, and he's going to be married to, to this young lady that's in town, and it's just going to be perfect, and they're going to make a life and make a family. And she comes to him and says, I'm pregnant. And he knows enough to know that he's not responsible. And so his fiance is pregnant. Doesn't, it's not his. He doesn't know what to do. This is broken trust. This is hurt. And on top of that, you have the shame that if he goes through with this, the shame is on his name. It's on his family's name and on his descendant's name. This is, the, the weight of this is no small thing. And he, being an honorable man, said, you know what? I'm not going to embarrass her. I'm not going to just crucify her in front of everyone. I'm just going to divorce her quietly and move on. I know it hurts. It stinks. But God must have something else for me. And that's what he decided to do. 
But what's interesting is we know the story and we know he changed his mind, right? So what changed his mind? What, and as we read this, think in terms of this is really happening. What changed Joseph's mind? And we're told what changed his mind in verse 20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. Now, maybe an angel appearing to you is enough to change your mind. I don't know that it is for me because I don't know if that's bad pizza or whether it's really a dream. I don't know what it is. But the reasons the angel gave are really important to understand. He said, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. Reason number one, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And at that point, you get the first reason Joseph went through with it. You get the first reason he changed his mind. And it's really the primary reason we have hope at Christmas. We have hope because Jesus came to deal with our sin problem. We have hope because Jesus came to deal with our sin problem. He came to save us from our sins, that verse says. He came to be the offering in my place, securing forgiveness, making reconciliation with God so I can have a relationship with God, all of which I can't earn on my own. See, again, if I'm hoping that I can be good enough to go to heaven, that's, that's stupid because it can't happen. If I'm hoping that somehow I can change God's mind because I do something great for God, that's ridiculous. It can't happen. This is a problem we can't solve. And so we have to hope in something that will. There are all kinds of things in this world that people do to try to escape their sins. Maybe they run from situations. Maybe they drown themselves and self-medicate with alcohol or drugs or relationships. None of that is lasting because Jesus came to really deal with our sin problem, to effectively deal with it, to deal with it in a way that actually deals with it. And so here, Joseph had to trust God, and trust and hope are, are really from the same roots, the same ideas. He had to trust God. He had to hope in the Lord. And this idea that now this situation, this baby boy would come to save his people from their sins that was a game changer. See, that deals with the first of our two major problems, our own sin. It deals with the broken relationships, the self-centeredness, the bad decisions we make. It deals with the fact that we know when we sin against God, when we do what is wrong, that we deserve punishment from God. And because God is infinite, if we sin against God, the punishment that we know in Romans 6.23 is death, separation from God. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And so we have to understand in our sin, in this fallen, broken world, in the decisions I've made, the choices I've made, I deserve death. I deserve separation from God because I have blatantly defied him. But, but Jesus came. And that's why we say hope was born that night. He came to take our punishment. From the manger, he planned to do this. This wasn't something that at 30 is like, you know what? I think the cross might be a good idea. From the manger, actually from eternity, this was his plan. This was the inception of his rescue mission. The infiltration into enemy territory. And Jesus came and lived a perfect life. 
died on the cross, punished for my sin, for your sin, taking that from us, taking that punishment completely, dealing with it, covering it, saying it is finished, and then he gives us his righteousness? Oh, what a glorious night. What a glorious thought that he gives us his righteousness. And so really this idea that he came to save his people from their sin, this is going from hopelessness to hope. This is going from, from punishment to forgiveness, from alienation from God to restoration of relationship with God. This is going toward eternal life. And I think this is one of the things that changed Joseph's mind. And it's the hope we have as well, that we have hope that Jesus came to deal with our sin problem. Now the thing with, with his dealing with our sin problem is we have to accept his gift. We have to repent of our sins and say, I am broken, I can't do this on my own. Jesus saved me. And when we give our lives to him, when we take his gift of salvation, then that is applied to us and that righteousness is applied to us and salvation and eternal life are ours. That's the hope of Christmas, that Jesus came to deal with our sin problem. Joseph was part of a nation and part of a, a legacy of people looking for the Messiah. From the prophets on, people are looking for the Messiah. And we'll jump to the end of that passage um, at the end of our time together, but I want to interrupt sort of here with one of those prophets, Micah 5, verses 2 through 5. And this is also a prophet dealing with hope. If you look at the end of verse 5, it says, and he will be our peace. And, and so this whole section is about Jesus, the Messiah, being our peace, our hope. And, and we get some, some other just wonderful thoughts about hope in this passage. In Micah 5, starting at verse 2, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. And that might sound familiar to you, that those verses are familiar. These are also the verses that Herod's wise men came to him with when the Magi came and said, hey, we know where the Messiah is going to be. He's going to be in Bethlehem. But let's explore this a little bit, a passage we don't always read the full, full section of. Because the first thing we see in verse 2 is that Jesus comes to a humble little town. It's, it's not an accident that we sing, O little town of Bethlehem. Because it was little. It was little in numbers, probably a few hundred people. It was little in stature or small in significance. It wasn't even listed, and it's mentioned there, where too little to be among the clans of Judah. It's not even listed in the list of towns taken over. It's not even listed in the towns that, that were founded. It's this little podunk village that's just five miles south of Jerusalem that probably had more sheep than people. But that's where Jesus chose to come. And that's a wonderful thing. This town who the shepherds are probably raising the sheep for the sacrifice in the temple, the true sacrifice comes to. And it's a reminder in point number two that Jesus is our hope because his humble arrival reminds us salvation is for all who believe. Salvation is for all who believe. You know, it, it can be so easy to think of, well, only the, the, the righteous, only the really faithful are, are okay with salvation, or you have to go to church enough, or you have to be part of this family, or you have to do this or that, or be part of this class. And Jesus, he came to the lowest of villages. 
and then he announced it to the lowest class in the village, the shepherds. And what he's saying in all that is salvation is for everyone. Salvation isn't just for the elite. Salvation is for everyone who will believe, who will humble themselves, copy Jesus in his attitude of how he came. And when Micah's writing, this is a tough time. The northern kingdom has just fallen to Assyria brutally. The southern kingdom is under attack. It is in severe decline morally and in society and spiritually. And Micah is saying, oh, to this little town, a ruler's going to come and make things right. A ruler would come. And it's part of that long line of hope that we talked about with Joseph where prophets were always looking forward to this. Everything in the Old Testament looked forward to the hope of a Messiah, the hope of Jesus. This, Mary, this manger carried 2,000 years of hope, and it carried it just fine and fulfilled it completely. The hopes and fears of all the years. And so we see at the beginning of the Micah passage that Jesus came in humility to remind us that salvation is for all. You know, it goes on to say um, Bethlehem Ephrathah, and that, that's, that's just a term of Ephrathah is sort of a clan of Bethlehem, so they knew which Bethlehem. There's a couple different Bethlehems. They knew which one, and, and this was the one that Jesus came to, the little insignificant one. Hope arrived through humble, unexpected means into this hole-in-the-wall town. It goes on then to say, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is of old, from ancient of days. And that's language that's saying he has always been. The Messiah didn't just, wasn't just created on that Christmas morning, but he has always been because he is God, God incarnate, fully God and fully man. And he came to be the sacrifice for our sins, to bring hope. We go on and read that we have hope because this world's problems are going to be taken care of. Point number three is we have hope because it wasn't just our sins that were forgiven, but the power of death and sin and Satan were defeated and things will be made right. See, Jesus didn't just come to deal with my sins. He came to just wholly get rid of evil and sin, to deal with it. We got to think much bigger than ourselves. This world will be made right. Suffering was defeated. This fallen world was defeated. And that's really the second issue. It's either our sin or sin in this world or the source of all our problems. Jesus came to bring hope against both. He dealt with the source of our suffering. As we read on in the Micah passage, Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor is given birth, and the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And again, we, we've been studying Daniel, and this is prophetic language. We're like, what did we just read? But, but this is the idea of that they would be in pain for a, a while. They would be in captivity for a while. Their sin would run its course for a while. But then the Messiah would come. And the Messiah would come and start by restoring relationships and restoring things here on earth. And that's dealing with the sin issue. But then verse, verse 4 goes into the bigger picture. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord is God, and they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. And from three to four, he just went from dealing with individual sins to now peace on earth, goodwill to all men. 
that in God's kingdom we will be secure. There will be a time when this fallen world is dealt with. There will be a time when sin will be no more. There will be a time when sickness will be no more, when death will be no more. When we will live forever with the King of kings and Lord of lords, and he will be our shepherd, he will give us our security, he will reign in righteousness, there will be no more injustice, there will be no more false elections or good elections or whatever you want to think about the election. There will be no more of that because his kingdom will endure forever. That is hope. That is true hope. Beyond our hope in political parties, beyond our our hope in vaccines. I'm not saying those aren't good, but our true hope has to be that God will deal with it all and take care of it all. Verse 5 concludes that section, and he shall be their peace. Not there will be peace, he will be peace. The Prince of Peace will arrive. He will come and make things right. Because he came the first time in that manger, we know with certainty, we can expect that he will come again and he will make things right. So all that's great for the future. And dealing with our sins, we think of eternal life. And dealing with this world and this fallen world, and that's all going to be taken care of, that's all going to end, that's great for the future. But my last point this morning is I want us to think about the now. See, Jesus' birth also gives us hope that God is with us for the mess of today. Jesus' birth gives hope that God is with us for the mess of today. And maybe I'm overstating it that it feels like there's a mess today. I don't think I am. And and that's not just 2020. Every year has its challenges, right? Every, we are dealing with this fallen world and our sin all over the place. And, And The hope that comes in Jesus isn't just, oh, maybe in the future it'll be okay. The hope is actually for today as we leave the the grounds here, as we go to family activities this week, as we figure things out and, and how we're going to do what and where we're going to go. That is also part of our hope that God is with us now. Jump back to the Matthew passage. You might have noticed I skipped a couple verses there, but these are so important. Matthew 1, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. And he quotes Isaiah here, Isaiah 7. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Think about that. God with us. Doesn't mean God will be with us someday. It doesn't mean God was with us 2,000 years ago, but now we're not sure. It means God with us. God is with us right now. If you believe in him, if you trust in him, God is with you right now. This is hope of his presence now. And the more I think about God with us, the more, quite frankly, it blows my mind because I I look at the junk and I look at my, my poor decisions. I'm like, how can God be with me during all that? Why doesn't he just give up? Well, he came to solve that problem, not to judge me for that problem. He came to save me for those issues. And so to Joseph, the second promise he's given 
is his name will be Emmanuel, God with us. And so we read on. When Joseph woke from the sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife. But he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. And so God came and was with him. And I think part of that promise and part of the hope there is God will be with you through this. And so Joseph changed his mind and and took on the difficulty and took on the challenge and the shame and the name-calling and everything else that went with it in obedience to God because of the promise of forgiveness of sins and that God is with us. Back to Romans 15, the first passage I read. We're sort of just coming back around. Verse 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, or literally for those that believe. So that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope in 10 years. Or that you may abound in hope when we're finally in eternity. No, no, it's, this is a promise. Out of the, the Christmas promise of 12, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace if you believe now. So that the power of the Holy Spirit may abound in hope now. And he's talking about a restored relationship with God that the hope of the manger, dealing with the sin issue, dealing with the fallen world issue, this gives us an ability to be sons and daughters of the king, to have relationship with God now. I talk with people all the time who are trying to solve things without Jesus, who are trying to have hope without Jesus. And some of them, they just don't think Jesus would have them after the decisions they've made. And, and, but yet he knows all that, and then he still came. Some of them are just, just stubbornly trying to say, I can solve this on my own. And the world only offers sad counterfeits for hope. As I've talked with people that have walked away from God and walked away from the hope and walked away from the joy, I have watched their lives fall apart. But they still struggle with surrender to, to come back to God. See, hope is hope for the now. In this fallen Genesis 3 weary world, the weary world can still rejoice because hope arrived for the weak and the frail. But we have to accept it. We have to say, like I said earlier, Jesus, I'm broken. I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. I give you my life. And until we do that, until we realize that Jesus came for the hurting, the ones humble enough to admit their need, we will stand in pride on our own and we will defy God and we will not experience that hope. But he gives us his presence. He gives us his help, his wisdom, his change in our lives if we will come to him now. The only true source of lasting hope is Jesus Christ. That's it. And if you're here today because you've come to a Christmas service, if you're watching online because you want to come to a Christmas service, hope arrived. Hope arrived, but the question is, will you give your life to Jesus? Because hope can arrive and you can never visit the the manger. You can ignore it and you can just go on with life like nothing happened. And then that hope arrived for someone else. But if we repent and come to him, and I, I urge you today, Choose to follow Jesus. Choose to trust him with your life. 
choose to acknowledge that Christmas is more than twas the night before Christmas, but it's the hope of a Savior who so wants relationship with you. Choose to follow him, to repent of your sins, and take his forgiveness and his righteousness. Hope came as a baby. That baby embodied all hope because he was the Messiah and is the Messiah, the Son of God. He is the sacrifice and the Lamb. I'd like to invite worship team back up. And, and we'll sing a couple songs. We'll sing a song and then we'll enter into communion. But as, as we sing this next song, it's a new song. But I urge you to listen to the words because it really captures everything we've said about hope this morning. And, and yet, don't be caught off guard by the title. It's, oh, come all you unfaithful. But isn't the unfaithful who Jesus is calling? Didn't he come knowing that we were sinners? Didn't he come seeking to give hope to the broken? And so listen to worship team as you catch on to it, sing along. But let these words drive home the truths of these scriptures.
supper together and communion and what I'd like to do is spend some time reflecting this morning reflecting on that hope and if you have never accepted Christ this is a chance to give your life to him and experience that hope for the first time if you have we celebrate communion together and communion says I have chosen to accept that hope I have chosen to follow Jesus and we'll get we'll take that in just a moment but we'd like worship team to play another song and as they do, just listen to the words and spend some time in prayer. During the song, you can get up, and if you haven't gotten your communion items, there's some tables on either side and in the lobby. But also, as, as is our tradition, we have ornaments for each family. And one ornament of family, and this, this ornament in particular, brings the nativity in with the cross, which is really what this morning's about. The source of hope is what Jesus came to do, to defeat sin, and to defeat this, the sin and evil in this fallen world. And so take an ornament off one of the trees. There's, there's ornaments on like three or four trees here and in the lobby trying to be, enable us to, to get to them all in a distanced fashion. But take an ornament for your family. Take the communion elements and sit and listen to the words of the song. Be thankful for what God has given, for the hope he's given. And if you've never made that decision, this is the morning to do that. But let's remember the hope as we come together and remember the Lord's Supper. And hope came down to deal with our deepest needs by planning to come and die on that cross for our sins in our place, rise again the third day, which proved that this fallen world was going to fall and is going to fall someday. And so we come to the Lord's Supper remembering and celebrating what God has done, remembering and celebrating that he came as hope and that he died on the cross. And again, this is for those that believe, that those have, that have chosen to follow Christ. But it's a chance we have to celebrate, celebrate his actions, celebrate his plan. And that I love doing the Lord's Supper and commemorating the Lord's Supper on Christmas. And we start with the wafer. And the wafer represents the body of Christ, that he willingly came as a baby, that he willingly sacrificed eternity to, to show up in this world, in this fallen world, to die for our sins. And so this represents his body that was broken for us. In 1 Corinthians 11, the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. 
Do this in remembrance of me. So let's eat together and remember the true hope. In the same way also he took the cup. After supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And his blood represents forgiveness for our sins. It represents him taking the penalty for our sins. And so this is so meaningful to me because this represents hope in a fallen world. Let's drink together and remember what he has done. Dear Lord God, our Savior, thank you. Thank you for coming that Christmas so long ago. Lord, and help us as we celebrate, especially in 2020, to not lose hope, to not focus on circumstances around us, but to remember you are with us. You plan to give us hope now. You are giving us hope and joy and peace now. Lord, also help us to remember that you have taken care of our sin issues, that you have forgiven us and shown us your grace when we don't deserve it. And so, Lord, may we be your people with your joy and your hope and, and just really annoy people that have no hope in a good way and make them ask, Lord, why does this people have a hope that we can say it is because hope was born that night? Lord, help us to be vocal with our faith. Help people to come to know you this Christmas that need you so desperately. Thank you for your sacrifice. In your name, amen. Amen.